Greetings this evening. In the name of Jesus. It's been a privilege to be here this weekend and uh, see God working in the way that He has. <clears throat> the title of the message is "The Elders Which Are Among You I Exhort," and we find that admonition or that that quote, that scripture in First Peter five one to four. If you would care to turn with me to that scripture. <clears throat> I was thinking of another scripture that um, in Galatians 1, verse 10, it says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. <clears throat> and you know, the more I thought about that, I think if, there was, if, if, if I would just say, tell you that verse, that, that summarizes in a beautiful way, in a powerful way, the duties of a bishop. And I don't know really this evening if I can do a lot more to add to that message in this verse. Um, but I'm afraid there, there has been many in leadership in churches across our country that have got that backwards. That somehow they found themselves in the position thinking perhaps it was the right thing to do to please men and then persuade God. And they have become focused on that. And there's biblical examples of people that have done that, men that have done that. And God never blesses that type of thing. You will not persuade God. You can please God. And by the grace of God, you can persuade men. <clears throat> it would be interesting to know this evening, uh, when, you, when you think of the word bishop or you think of the office of bishop, what... What is your mental uh, reaction, or what do you think of? And I'm sure that that would, um, that would vary. That would, uh, there'd be some differences. The things you think of, and maybe this, the attitude you have, and maybe you don't even recognize it in yourself sometimes, but those are, those are formed um, by your life, the experiences you've had, and um, the influences you've been under, and the influences you've opened yourself up to can have an impact on what you think of when you hear the word bishop, or you think of the office of a bishop. There's, um, for some, it brings negative feelings, negative response. For others, it's quite the opposite. And I trust this evening from this time forward or where you are now, that, that you can think of it in a positive way. If it is negative, then why or whose fault is it? I think we recognize this evening um, in our world today, our society, and I certainly it's true in the United States, and I think it's certainly true in Canada as well, there is a, I would say, a growing negative reaction to authority. Uh, the spirit that there's a disobedient spirit, and it's the the sad thing is it's being sanctioned by the leaders of, the, of our country in, in many cases. Our schools, public schools, are a mess because of their this misconception of authority. And um, it seems to me that that spirit can even be in our churches. It seems to me our country is trying to figure out a way to have a civil society in absence of authority. 
Now, they may not recognize it quite that way, but that's really what they're trying to do is figure out how to, how to um, deal with the rising crime without exercising authority. And I think you don't have to have an extremely high IQ to know that will not work. There must be some authority. And I recognize, too, that um, there, have been, there have been times when bishops have not operated in a redemptive way. There's not all bishops have made correct decisions all the time. Uh, not all bishops have had the heart of a shepherd. A lot of times in an ordination, that's one of the subjects, of the shepherd's heart. Not all bishops have held themselves accountable. But just remember, there is a spirit in the world that is alive and well, that worketh in the children of disobedience. That's a Bible quote. <clears throat> so I'd like to read here from First uh, Peter, just the first four verses of chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Um, I think of Peter. I think of disciple Peter. He was a man that made a lot of mistakes early in life or as he was a disciple. But he learned from his mistakes. And he, 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 he um, grew to be a very effective leader. This is what he has to say about the elders. Um, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. What a beautiful promise. What a powerful thought. Um, so we see Peter here giving directives to the church leaders as to their responsibility, their conduct that is necessary for effective leadership. Uh, he, he identifies as being one of them, a man who sensed his need. Um, by the grace of God, he had met his responsibilities, and he became a very effective leader. Feed the flock of God, which is taking the oversight thereof. To me, that, again, is somewhat of a summary of the responsibility of bishops. And to carry out these different directives that were given here is not always easy. Uh, it, it takes uh, a dying to self. It takes, like we heard this morning, the grace of God, opening ourselves up to accept and receive the grace of God. And it takes, well, a continuing crucifixion of the, of the flesh. Specifically, as we think about the duties, that's, that's uh, the thrust of this message, is the duties of a bishop. And I was trying to think back. I don't know if I've ever... In ordinations, um, now those are touched on usually in a service, but a specific mention about the duties, in this case of a bishop. Um, we, we usually have a lot to say about the qualifications, which we have had in this, this weekend. Sometimes we talk about the family, the wife. I don't think we touched on that too much. Uh, we talk about the church's responsibilities. I spoke on that the other night. Um, and these... Certainly, we don't want to minimize the qualifications. I just remember uh, an older brother telling me one time that a, I, I think, I don't know that he's necessarily speaking about a bishop, but an ordained person is chosen on what he has been 
and not what you think he may become. Um, and I, I think we, we understand that. 1 Timothy 3.10 says, And let these first be proved, and then let them use the office of a deacon in that case, being found blameless. That would uh, certainly apply to uh, a bishop and a minister as well as a deacon. So the duties of a bishop. What are his duties? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I suppose it's possible, maybe it's happened more than what I think, that have been ordained to the office without maybe a clear understanding of what the duties are. I am certain that there has been probably many cases in the laity where they didn't have a clear understanding, perhaps, of the duties of the bishop. I had to think the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, 5, it says there's differences of administration, but the same Lord. I don't know for sure how you understand that, um, but to me it's saying that not all churches, not all congregations do things exactly the same. Um, there's, there's room for some variation in, in the way things are administered, but underneath there, there are principles that we, we must attain to. Not all bishops do everything exactly the same way. Just things as simple as the way the communion is conducted. Uh, um, I know I helped in some other churches and they uh, did it differently. Well, I I was in no place to insist that they do it the way we did at home and that was no problem at all. But as I, back to the idea of a duties, really the duties of a bishop as we would understand them are really not laid out very clear in the Scripture. At least, I don't think they are. Uh, there are things that, and when I say that, it, it does speak to leaders and what they should do. And maybe I'll clarify that statement a little bit later. Um, we, do find, we do find in our church history, the early church, the Anabaptist movement, there are certain traditions that, we, that have served the church well. When I say... Um, the Bible doesn't clearly lay that out. I, I mean, I don't read in the Bible where a bishop must, must perform the weddings or a bishop must be in charge of the communion service. I, I don't see that there. I, it's probably implied. <clears throat> but we do find the, the office of a bishop uh, often spoken of the Bible. The Greek word is episkopos, which means overseer. Peter uses that word there. The office of a deacon is called dekanos, which means servant. But there's no, there's no direct, and um, we don't find the word minister. We have bishops, deacons, and ministers as our practice, but we don't find that it's not quite as clear as bishop and deacon. And some have found fault with that. I know I've had a few people talk to me over the years. That, in fact, I remember an elderly brother in our church when I was growing up, and he was pretty strong on that. doesn't doesn't uh, we should just have bishops and deacons um, Ignatius one of the early church fathers um, around 100 AD probably about within 70 years thereabouts of when Jesus was crucified he spoke of three offices in in the church I'll just quote what he wrote. I exhort you to study all things with divine harmony while your bishop presides in the place of God. Now, I don't think that's blasphemy. I think he's talking about oversight. Your presbyters, which 
traditionally would be those that preach, the ministers, the presbyters in the place of assembly and apostles along with the deacons. So, so he identifies three offices. And, and then there was other church fathers. There's, there's actually uh, several. Clement of Alexandria, 19, 195 A.D., wrote similarly. Tertullian did, others, about the three offices. Um, moving on then to our Anabaptist uh, tradition. Um, I looked up in the Mennonite Encyclopedia. I'm, I guess I'm not sure when this was written. I don't know exactly who wrote it. But the Mennonite Encyclopedia, which would be our, our denomination, um, Anabaptists, it says this, A bishop can normally be chosen only from those among already ordained ministers, although some Amish groups admit deacons to the candidacy. I guess you're Amish here, or at least we must be. Uh, I know that's kind of accepted in our circles. Now, I believe that I was, uh, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. I think I was the first deacon um, that was given a charge to preach in the Western Fellowship. Um, I remember Herman Krupp. He was a deacon there at at, uh, Harrisburg Church. He, He didn't preach. Very rarely. Almost never. Jason Schrock was ordained deacon before I was. And then two years later, he was ordained minister, and in that period of time, he never preached at our church. In fact, I think he was kind of instrumental. He, he would be asked to preach otherwhere, other places, but he never preached at our church. And I think he, when I was ordained then, about several years after that, he, um, I think he kind of mentioned in, the, in their counseling that really ought to have a charge of preaching. And from then on, it just seemed like everybody did it. So I don't know if I was the example for that or not. But I, uh, there's a, I'm not sure if you're all aware of this, but uh, our practice is when, we, when a man is ordained, whether it's off a deacon, uh, bishop, or minister, he's given an ordination certificate. Just a little thing that, uh, that kind of uh, makes it official. And the certificate says this, it shall be his duty to assume general oversight, to maintain scriptural discipline, to provide pastoral care, to give counsel to the ministers, to administer the ordinances, and to devote himself earnestly to the enhancement of the church or churches of which he has oversight. Um, <clears throat> when I was ordained bishop 18 years ago, 18 years ago um, last Sunday, I might be off a day. I know it was real close to this time. Um, I was given that certificate, and it, it just seemed overwhelming to me. And I don't, I, think, I don't know if I laid the certificate, but I had that, what that said there in my desk, and once in a while I'd pull it out and look at it. And it, it just, just kind of seemed overwhelming to me. But anyway, this, these should give us some, some clarity. Um, Hopefully, as far as the duties, what we would understand to be the duties of a, a bishop, administer the ordinances. That would be in charge of baptism. That would be in charge of the communion service. Lead out there. Typically, the others would help with that, assist with that. Be in charge of weddings. Um, those are some of the things. Now, <clears throat> I 
There are some churches, I remember talking to a, uh, I guess he was an ordained man from another church one time, and he, he, told, he was telling me how that they have, uh, they have changed what the office of a bishop means. They, they have went to uh, rotating. They would, uh, maybe the bishop, one man of the ministry would be considered the bishop for a year, I think. I think it wasn't much more than a year. And then another one would take charge. And, and uh, there's other churches that, that tend to, um, instead of the three office ministry, they, they have a board of elders. And then they, uh, the pastor would be answerable to them. And, and uh, I don't think they, some of those cases, they don't have a bishop. Um, to me, that it kind of suggests some mistrust. It, it, I don't think, I haven't seen that being blessed. You know, it's kind of like term limits. Um, I think it suggests fear of a bishop being coming too uh, entrenched or, or they want to be able to control things a little bit. I don't think that those changes have served the church well. Um, I had to think of, in thinking along that line of Samuel, when, when the people came and said, we want a king. And um, Samuel he kind of he pretty much reacted to that. Uh, he knew that was not God's perfect will, and yet God allowed him to go ahead. But the motive behind that, really, and it was pretty clear, we want to be like the other nations. We want to be like other, the ones around us. We want to be like that. So we want to be careful about that. I think we, we, we need to um, respect the offices, the tradition we have in those areas. It says here, Peter says, um, <clears throat> take the oversight thereof, overseeing. That, uh, that word that we find where it says, take the oversight thereof, is really the same word as bishop. We find the word bishop often or a number of times in the New Testament, but it is the same word, overseer and bishop. So Peter was evidently speaking to bishops, Maybe, or I mean, I, I guess. No, he was speaking to elders, that's right. But uh, he says, in Acts 28, he says, Take heed to yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the flock of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Peter says basically the same thing here. And, and Peter, he talks about feeding the flock of God. Um, an overseer is one, well, we, I think we understand what that means, one that has the oversight. Um, I mentioned weddings. I think, I think that's something that a bishop needs to take some responsibility of. And I've, I'm not sure how much to say about this. I don't, as far as I know, there's no, I hope I don't step on any toes, but it seems like weddings are something that um, if we're not careful they bring in new things. You have a young bride, and, and she's, her emotions, her feelings are kind of fragile. Nobody wants to, you know, touch her too much. And the parents get emotionally involved, and they want this, and they want that. And the bishop is just supposed to kind of back off, let them go. And that's not right. You, they are asking the bishop to perform a ceremony, and they dictate the terms. And I, I think when these... Weddings get so, so many innovations that that's, that's saying something. And the next bride will say, Ooh, she could do that, I can do this. And it just snowballs. And in today's world of WhatsApp and whatever, 
what's else, those ideas flow, flow freely. So I would just say, um, and it's pretty real to me right now, we're dealing with a wedding coming up. And I don't, I don't think it, as far as I know, it hasn't, but um, I appreciated Malin. He took hold of that and said, no, you're not walk, the father is not walking the bride up the aisle. We don't do that here. We're not going to start that, as well as some other things. So that's, that's just an example of the oversight. One of the things. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, I remember a, a preacher preaching about that. I haven't, don't ever remember who it was. But that idea of rightly dividing, you know, a little child or a Sometimes if they get a big or a piece of meat, they can't deal with it. So you have to cut it in little pieces so they can digest it. They can, they can handle it. That's kind of what part of the, uh, part of the uh, what it means to be broken down, explained in a way that a spiritual mind can understand. And that takes, that takes diligence. Along with the feeding, you know, when we say feeding... Probably our mind goes to the messages. You know, the, the, the preacher needs to get up and preach the word. That's an important part of it. He needs to be diligent. Study, that's, that's part of it. Um, but I think we could, we could expand that a bit of, of what feeding really other things. Paul told Timothy to be an example. And I think we find that here too. He used the word in samples. But um, same, same word. Uh, let no man despise a youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity and faith, in spirit and purity. There's power in a godly example. And you can get up, a man can be very articulate. He can be, he can be an excellent uh, preacher. But um, if, there isn't a, if that isn't followed up by an example, when, when the pressure's on and things um, are a response, if they don't see an example, I'm... I, Personally, I'm not very good at, at reading instructions. If I'm to put same, something together, I get something and I have to assemble it. And then you read that thing and you, you know, you're supposed to put part B with part A and insert here. And, but if there's a diagram, a picture, I can grasp it a lot better. I think that an example, when, when, you, when a man preaches a word... I think it's far more effective to have a man that <clears throat> may not be real articulate, but he, his example. And you think back to men of God you've known over the years. I challenge you to, you might, you probably remember some things they said, but especially if they've been gone a number of years, you will remember them as an example. And that applies to fathers, mothers. Certainly the words we say and the way we talk matters. God forbid that a leader would be given to, to loose talk. I know of an ordained man that uh, someone else I knew was on the job and he said there was some pretty loose talk. The way we do business, the things we buy, uh, the way we live, those are examples, part of the examples a bishop means to be, to be a moderate. That's one word we use sometimes. Um, be careful about extreme positions. Lashing out in anger. 
tell something about us. Jesus had to talk to his disciples about their spirit that time when the, the uh, villagers um, were not hospitable and they got very angry. And he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Be careful. That's part of our overseed responsibility. Our faith is an example. Um, that's what people will remember. We need to be steadfast. Ephesians 4 verse 14, that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Occasionally we hear about that. Occasionally we read about it or we know of cases where there's been leaders, ministers, and, and bishops that um, some wind of doctrine come through and, and they got caught up in that thing. And uh, it was to the damage, spiritual damage of the church. Um, you know, wrongs are done to leaders, to bishops. People talk disrespectfully sometimes. And that shouldn't happen. Um, I encourage you to be careful of that, to not to show disrespect. But on, on our part, when that happens... Sometimes we just need to absorb it. It doesn't work very well to cut, cut them down. Hobby horses, um, out, outlandish ideas, um, shouldn't be part of our, they weaken our message. And in today's world, it seems like it's, it's, it's very common. Uh, people get excited and alarmed about this and, and sometimes think we should do this and that. The leader needs to keep a steady course. Um, an example of Peter, you know, he took his eyes off Jesus, he sank. Avoid those kind of extremes. Multi-level, get-rich-quick schemes. I know of a bishop that seemed to get caught up in that kind of thing. And it was to his discredit. Part of feeding, um, you know, to feed... If you're keeping animals and, and uh, you try to cut back on the feed or you, you compromise the feed, you buy cheap feed, um, it's, it's, it's not going to work out very well. The, the, the animals, the sheep or the cattle, they'll, they'll not do well. And if they cut it back too far, they're known to break down fences and go other places looking for feed. So a leader has a responsibility to have quality feed. Part of feeding the flock is, and it, it talks about that here, is, is humility. I've often thought of that scripture here where it says to be clothed with humility. Um, or maybe that's not in this passage. It says of a ready mind. Yeah, it does in verse 5. So it talks about being clothed with humility. Clothes are really important to the world. Oh, that's a big deal. And... Uh, even, you know, you see a person, you, know, you notice how they're dressed, you notice their clothes. And humility should be, should be part of that. We, we, we should be clothed with humility. Um, pride is something that, um, pride is, is, a, is very um, detrimental to the office of a leader, a bishop, Minister Deacon, and anybody else. You know, the thing about pride is the person that has it in their heart oftentimes is a, they don't recognize it. But it's, it's glaringly obvious to other people. 
other people can see it. Other people can sense it. Jealousies, things like that. I remember when I was a young person, I think I was about 14 or 15, going to school. There was another boy that uh, was quite athletic, and he was pretty good at what he did. And I kind of aspired to, I I wanted to beat him. I wanted to throw further than he threw if I could. And I was out after school practicing my throw, and this little boy, he was about a, I would have been a, I don't know, 15 or so, there's a boy that was probably third or fourth grade. And I remember him said, you're jealous of him. I just, how in the world? Me? Jealous? No. But he was, I think he was right. I was jealous. I wanted to be better. Somewhere I've written in my Bible, Satan can do anything with pride, nothing with humility. God can do nothing with pride, but everything with humility. Um, Part of the feeding is courage. I think of the the Joshua there in the Bible. Have not I commanded thee, there as Moses was dead, and and Joshua was given the charge to uh, lead the people into the promised land. And and, uh, I'm sure there was a lot of thoughts that went through the mind of Joshua. This, This responsibility that came down on him. And God spoke to him, and not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, whither, neither be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. What a promise, what a blessing. <clears throat> he told him to be, to be of good courage. You know, discouragement is a very big problem for leadership. Uh, you know, pride on one side, discouragement on the other. There's, there's some time, often there's kind of a narrow path between that we must tread between pride and discouragement. Brother Ralph was talking this morning about um, things people do, you know, encouragement you get from people. And I don't know, maybe I mentioned that the other night, but um, I think there's a tendency on part of some people, they don't want to say too much lest we be proud. Um, But we can be discouraged, and you know, just a little word of appreciation, a word of something along that line, it means, it means something to leaders. Um, it doesn't have to be a big flower speech, but I would just encourage you that. Someone has said the three main sins that destroy leaders, that cause leaders to fall, are pride, discouragement, and moral failure. And I, I think that's probably true. And, and if you think about that, I, I think there's sort of a sequence there. A man is ordained. He's ordained to an office. That's a big deal. He's been chosen. He is the man. Satan is right there to plant a seed of pride. And, uh, well, like I said, you know, that pride is, he's oblivious to it, but other people can sense it after a while. And, and then there's maybe some resistance. Things aren't going well. People are not listening to him. And then that leads to discouragement. Then they become despondent, become discouraged. And um, a man that is in that position of discouragement is set up for moral failure. One leads to the other, I I would say that. I want to encourage you this evening. I don't, you know, to the leaders here, the one that is before us this evening, I want to encourage you.
to, uh, to go forward in the fear of God. I want to encourage fathers and mothers and young people, youth. I want to encourage you to do the right thing. Um, to all that are in some role of authority. Um, it can be discouraging for husbands. It can be discouraging for wives. But keep on keeping on. The duties. In, in Luke 17, Jesus gave that story of, a, of a, the master that, you know, it sounds a little bit... Uh, not sure what to say, uh, not very charitable maybe, this master. He, he wanted the servant to do all his things for him, take care of him, and then afterwards you can eat. I don't think that's what we're want to, I don't think that's really the picture we want to dwell on. But Jesus said something, so likewise ye, when ye have done all these things and are commended, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which is our duty to do. We don't always receive awards in this life for doing our duty. Um, and duty can, can be pretty, it can be drudgery sometimes. Um, but when we do our duty, when we have done our duty, those words we see in Matthew 25, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That is a reward. And Peter basically says the same thing here in verse 5 um, about the crown of glory that shall not be fade away. So I trust this evening you thank you for your attention. May God bless the message.